are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at ComBank and today I'm joined by our China Economist based in Hong Kong, Kevin Xia. Kevin, really good to have you on. Good to be here. Now, it's been a bit of a while since we have had an update on what is happening in the Chinese economy. We've been very focused on what is happening in Australia, given we've obviously had the COVID outbreak here. But what is happening in the Chinese economy? They've also seen the Delta variant have an outbreak in China. How is the economy going? Yeah, that's right. So the Chinese economy also hit by this uh, Delta variant. So the most recent wave of the Delta variant started on 20th July. So within days, you know, it has spread to a number of provinces across China. So the government has quickly imposed the social distancing measures to limit the spread. These measures have worked, you know, as before. Hmm. The number of new infections of local transmission has dropped to a single digit. Um, and now a UN got down to zero over the past couple of days. I think another factor contributing to the successful virus control is a very high vaccination rate mm. in China. Mm. You know, the number of vaccination doses administered per 100 people was 137 in China. Wow. That is, that is higher than 133 in the UK. Mm. So the high vaccination rate has helped limit the virus spread, but also reduce the severity for infected people. So having all this information in the back in the background, now let's have a look what has happened uh, to the Chinese economy. So clearly, social distancing restrictions mm. have disrupted economic uh, activity. So apart from the virus, there was a severe flood in central China, mm. which also disrupted part of the Chinese economy. You know, as a result, the June economic data. Uh, weakened much more than expected. And in particular, uh, consumer spending was hit particularly hard. And retail sales contracted by 0.13 per month. That was uh, quite a weak result. So industrial production growth has also decelerated on a broad-based slowdown. The various containment measures disrupt construction activity and weight on investment. So I guess there's some good news in that, that high vaccination rates and those social distancing restrictions have been quite successful at controlling the outbreak of the Delta variant. It sounds like there's also been some economic impact as a result. So has that changed your view of how the economy is going to track over coming months in 2021? So in the near term, the economic outlook really depends on when the government will remove social distancing Mm -hmm. measures. And fortunately, we have observed these measures have been gradually removed and economic activity has gradually recovered since you know, the middle of August. But in the near term, the economic 
recovery remains uncertain because social distancing restrictions last over most of August. But beyond August, then, you know, growth in consumer spending may remain very soft if the governments, you know, continue the zero tolerance approach against virus. It means social distancing measures will be imposed again in the case of another virus spread in China. But the debate has hit up in China uh, if the government should adopt a less costly approach to contain the virus spread. And some leading Chinese experts said uh, 83% of vaccination rate is required for herd immunity. Based on the current pace of vaccination, uh, we think China will probably achieve herd immunity by September. But we don't think the government will quickly change you know, its virus policy because it's quite risky. So instead, we think the government will, watching, will be watching COVID development in advanced economies. So when there is enough evidence that herd immunity can reduce the hospitalization rate and the death rate, and then the government might gradually change its policy. But apart from the various you know, downside risks to the Chinese economy will persist. Um, over the past year, foreign demand has supported China's economic recovery, but now the tailwind will gradually fade this year and early next year. And crackdowns you know, in the property market and also local government leverage will also contribute to slow investment. So we expect that you know, the economic outlook remains uh, quite soft over the next year or so. But policymakers will accelerate the fiscal spending this year and early next year to support growth. On the monetary policy front, we expect the People's Bank of China to cut the required reserve ratio by another 50 bips in Q4 2021 to support liquidity and bank lending. It's interesting that we're all kind of watching developments offshore for how those economies and countries deal with the latest COVID outbreak. Uh, And so it's interesting to see China do that as well. One of the other areas that seems to have gotten more attention in China recently is how they can structurally reform their economy. So they don't want to fall into that middle income trap that other developing economies has fallen into. What are they thinking about on the structural side they can do to continue to grow? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. You know, economic growth in China has slowed over the past mm. decade. And a number of structural headwinds suggest that growth, growth rates will continue to decelerate in this decade. And in particular, one key drag is China's population aging mm. and a shrinking working age population. And interesting, you mentioned the middle-income trap, and China is now in a very critical period of development. China needs to overcome the so-called middle-income trap so it can become a high-income country. Mm. But to avoid the income, middle-income trap is not easy. And globally, only over a dozen of countries out of 100 middle-income economy have been able to achieve high-income status since 1960. So it is a, a very tough task for the Chinese yeah. policymakers. So as a result, you know, they believe structural reforms as key to sustain China's long-term growth momentum. 
But structural reforms are very broad term. Mm. So it they include the reform in many areas. For example, the deleveraging campaign in the public sector and local government finance. The the currently the Chinese policymakers are cracked down anti-monopoly in technology technology platforms. And recently, tighter tighter regulations are announced in education. And we expect more reforms in coming years to reduce inequality as well. You know, structural reforms will create uncertainty and cause short-term pain. Mm. The international experience suggests Structural reforms can increase potential economic growth in the middle, in the medium term, if they are successful. We've been spending a lot of time on our podcast talking about uh, carbon emissions and decarbonising economies. There's obviously been a big push. Really, I feel in 2021, since uh, Joe Biden became US president, about uh, reducing carbon emissions globally. China's also focused on that, which is really interesting, just given where they are in their economy. We have seen that recently through trying to lower steel production, trying to lower carbon emissions. What is China's goal in all of this? So some countries are trying to uh, get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. What's China's goal? Yeah, so decarbonisation is a big theme in China as well. Mm. Uh, last year in September, you know, Chinese President Xi announced a very ambitious climate goal so China's goal is to peak carbon emissions by 2030 and achieve net zero carbon by 2060. Um, so you mentioned uh, uh, lower steel production and lower oil prices. So the steel sector in China is the second most emission intensive industry. Mm. So it accounts for 15% of China's total carbon emission. So uh, to reduce the carbon emission, at the beginning of 2021, the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology announced a plan to reduce carbon emission in the steel making industry. So last year, China's steel production lifted uh, to a new record high. So the policymakers aim to cut crude steel production this year to cut carbon emission. But steel production continued to grow in the first half as a result, the policymakers tightened the policy measures. Steel production dropped for the first time in July. Mm. And we've seen the impact on iron ore price as a result. What else are they looking at, at doing? You wrote a really interesting note on this back on the 20th of August. And I thought what was really fascinating about that is China's really going to learn to decarbonise by doing it. So what else are they focused yeah. on doing? To decarbonizing the Chinese economy is not an easy task. You know, China is still a middle-income country. Mm. Uh, you know, striking a balance between supporting growth mm. and cutting emission is very complicated uh, for a high-emission developing economy like China. So we think electric, electrification and the accelerating shift you know, from coal to clean energy will be the key for China to deliver its goals. So the electricity generation uh, sector is the most inefficient emitter of carbon because of its heavy reliance on coal. Mm. So cutting coal use is fundamental to uh, achieve China's carbon uh, emission goals. 
But you know, at the same time, China still relies on coal for electricity generation. You know, we have seen over the past couple of months, the global economic recovery and also China's policy to limit coal supply and also strong season, seasonal demand caused power shortages in China. So as a result, Chinese policymakers are learning to decarbonize the economy by doing it. So now they recognize some bottlenecks uh, impending the shift uh, from coal to clean energy. So they have announced uh, uh, policy measures that you know that include the market-based electricity price reform, and also uh, encourage renewable energy storage and transmission. So gradually, we think they will continue uh, to to they will continue to ex to they will continue to deliver their goals of decarbonizing Chinese economy. It's going to be a really interesting development to watch. Obviously, it's going to have big implications for the Australian economy through demand for things like iron ore and, to a lesser extent, coal, but also it will really develop a roadmap to how other countries can start to think about meeting their decarbonisation goals. Kevin, it's been great to get your insights and it's been great to talk about something other than Australia. So thank you so much for joining on the podcast today. Thanks, Belinda. Now, you can read Kevin's note on decarbonising the Chinese economy, Learning by Doing, and that was published on the 20th of August, 2021. And you can also read Kevin's note on what the softer data echoes the virus impact and the reduction in the 2021 GDP forecast. And that was published on the 16th of August, 2021 on combankresearch.com.au. 